Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. We've been pointing out that Jesus was a Jew who must be understood in his first century Jewish context. Jesus, as we all know, made the claim to be the Messiah of Israel. Now that word Messiah is a highly colored and highly charged Jewish term. It carries with it a whole host of implications and associations connected with the kingdom of God to be established on the earth. In Matthew chapter 19, 28, Jesus promised the disciples that in the new world of the kingdom, when the world was going to be reborn, the Greek word there, palingenesia, points to a new birth for the world. The idea is that the world has become degenerate, wound down. It needs to be wound up again to be regenerated. And there's coming a time when this earth is going to be renewed and refreshed under the kingdom of the Messiah and the saints. And so, in that Jewish context in which those ideas were well known and beloved by Jesus' audiences, Jesus said that in the new age of the kingdom coming, the disciples would sit on twelve thrones to administer the twelve tribes of Israel. Unfortunately, in many of our translations, the word judge has replaced the word administer. The idea of simply judging the tribes doesn't mean a lot to us in the 20th century. The idea is much broader than that. Remember that the judges of Israel in the Hebrew Bible were not just judges in our modern sense, but administrators of the country. And so Jesus there is offering a political position to his disciples as co-rulers, governors, administrators with him of the coming kingdom of glory on the earth. Now the same promise was made exactly at a later time in the ministry of Jesus, in fact at the Last Supper, in Luke chapter 22, verses 28 to 30. If we examine the passage in its context, starting at verse 20, we find that Jesus had taken the cup after they'd eaten and had said, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now, it's important to notice that all covenants in the Bible were ratified by the shedding of blood. The covenant, of course, contains an agreement between God and man, a plan made by God and offered to man, but that solemn agreement of God's intention and God's plan was ratified by blood. And so with this new covenant, God's new arrangement with Jesus and with the disciples was to be ratified in the blood shed at the death of Jesus. And the cup, of course, the cup of wine to be taken at the Lord's Supper was the symbol of that blood. Now, shortly thereafter, in verse 24, there arose a dispute among the disciples as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. The cup and the ratification of the covenant had prompted the idea of the kingdom in their minds. And obviously some argument had arisen about the ranks of the disciples in the coming kingdom. Jesus then taught them a lesson about what sort of rulership they should expect in the kingdom. He pointed out that customarily the Gentiles are the ones who lord it over their subjects, but it was not to be in that fashion among the disciples, among the Christian disciples. The leader was to be the servant of all. Now, the idea of leadership was not wrong, but it was the quality of that leadership that Jesus wanted to stress. In verse 27, Jesus said, 
Who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you, he said, as the one who serves. So Jesus, as the Messiah, as their teacher, as their Lord, was nevertheless the one who was in service to them. Then in verse 28, Jesus made these remarkable statements. He said, You are those who have stood by me in my trials. The disciples had in fact stood by Jesus throughout all of the opposition and persecution which he'd suffered at the hands of the religious establishment of the day. The disciples had indeed preached the gospel of the kingdom along with Jesus. They had been in the service of the Messiah now faithfully for some three years during the ministry of Jesus, and in view of that then they were to expect a prize, a reward for faithful service. And what was that to be? In verse 29 of Luke 22, Jesus said, Just as my Father has covenanted me a kingdom, so I covenant with you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones to administer the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, a remarkable thing is being said here. The covenant of the kingdom was the very heart of the Christian faith. The word covenant there is found in the Greek in verse 29 of Luke 22. It isn't simply that the Father had granted a kingdom, but most likely that should be rendered as covenanted. It's related, in fact, to the word covenant, which we found in verse 20. So God then had covenanted with Jesus. God made a covenant with Jesus in regard to the kingdom, to give him the kingdom. And Jesus then generously shares that kingdom with the apostles, promising them positions of administration as they were to be seated on thrones to govern the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, of course, that gives us a glimpse into the future also. Jesus fully expected with the Old Testament prophets, the prophets of the Hebrew Bible, that the twelve tribes would be regathered in Israel in the future, in the future kingdom. That's why the disciples in Acts 1 verse 6 asked the most reasonable question. They said, Has the time now come for you to restore the kingdom to Israel? Well, that was the right question to ask in view of what they'd been told at the Last Supper. They were going to be the judges, administrators, and governors of the future regathered and restored tribes in the land of Israel. And so it was entirely proper for them to expect that. Jesus indeed had promised them this. I think you'll notice here a huge difference between the realistic and concrete hope given to the disciples by Jesus and the traditional vague idea we have of hope, namely of being wafted off to heaven as a disembodied soul. None of those ideas about going to heaven when you die has much relevance to the New Testament. The hope of the early Christians was always to rule on the earth when Jesus returns. That's why we're praying, Thy kingdom come. And that's why Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, they're going to inherit the earth. Now, what it means to inherit the earth is given us in this beautiful passage in Luke 22, verse 30. It meant that the kingdom was going to be restored, that the twelve tribes would be gathered together in the land, and that the disciples would be co-administrators with Jesus in the future kingdom. Now, that gives us a clue then to the Christian hope. The Christian hope is realistic and concrete, material even, but nevertheless spiritual, because that new world, that reborn world of the future, is going to be administered by immortal persons, spiritual persons, 
who nevertheless have physical and material bodies, they'll be existing on this earth. Now, if that sounds in any way strange, it really should not. Jesus has already returned from death, and after doing that, he reappeared to the disciples as a physical, material, palpable person, and yet one who was immortalized. Touch me, he said, a ghost and a spook does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. You'll find that in Luke, the 24th chapter. Now, you may possibly be wondering, when does this co-rulership event take place? When is it that the tribes of Israel are going to be regathered in the land? And when are the disciples going to administer the land of Israel with Jesus? Administer, in fact, the entire world, because the kingdom of God is both national and universal. Its effects will spread across the earth when Jesus returns to rule in the kingdom. Now, the question of when this is going to happen is very simple to answer from the Gospel of Matthew. You remember that in Matthew 19, verse 28, Jesus said that in the new age, when the Son of Man sits on his throne, then the disciples would have power in the kingdom of God and administer the twelve tribes with the Messiah. But it was to be when the Son of Man sits on his throne. Now, when is that to be? Well, the answer is found in the 25th chapter of Matthew in verse 31. We read there that when the Son of Man comes in his glory, then he will sit on his throne of glory. So it's only at the second coming, when Jesus takes up his position on the throne of David in Israel, that the disciples will be given power with the Messiah to rule in the kingdom of God. Now, that's a most important fact, because some have confused the church with the kingdom. It's very confusing to imagine that the apostles are already ruling the twelve tribes of Israel. That's an impossible idea on the basis of the New Testament, and it's contradicted by that comparison between Matthew 19, verse 28, and Matthew 25, verse 31. It's only when the Son of Man comes and sits on his throne of glory that that co-administration of the kingdom will take place. Now, we can make another important link in regard to this future kingdom. We've just seen that it's in the new world, when the world is reborn, in the regeneration. It is then that the disciples will rule with Jesus, but a reference is found also in the preaching of Peter in a critically important verse in Acts chapter 3 and verse 21. Peter said that heaven must retain Jesus until the times of the restoration of all things. That word restoration, a beautiful word in the Greek language, apokatastasis, is exactly the same time as the regeneration, the rebirth of the world mentioned in Matthew 19 and verse 28. The story is entirely clear. We're waiting for the refreshment, the renewal, and the restoration, and the rebirth of the world. And it's at that time that those covenant promises of the kingdom will take effect. It's at that time that Jesus will rule the world with his saints. We find that stupendous fact mentioned in clear terms in Revelation 5, verse 10. There it is stated in unequivocal terms that Jesus has chosen folk from all of the different nations from every country, from every color, and from every language, and has formed them into a kingdom of priests. And then we read, they shall rule on the earth, or as the Jerusalem Bible says, they will rule the world. That, of course, is exactly the same promise as was granted to the disciples in Luke 22 at the Last Supper, and in Matthew 19:28, when Jesus spoke of that reborn world of the future. 
It's just that the promise of rulership to the twelve and their administration of the twelve tribes gathered in the land was extended to the rest of the Christians during the New Testament period. And so there are many verses, both in the book of Revelation and elsewhere in the epistles of Paul, which refer to the destiny of the Christians as being that of co-rulership with Christ in the future kingdom. Now, I have to mention to you that all of this matter of ruling the world with the Messiah was well known in the contemporary thinking of those who lived in the first century with Jesus. In the book of Enoch, for example, a book which reflects many of the themes of the New Testament, we read the following. The Son of Man sat on the throne of his glory, and the sum of judgment was given to the Son of Man. And in another passage, I will bring forth those who have loved my holy name, and I will seat each one on the throne of his honor. Those sayings are found in the book of Enoch, but they reflect very much the language of Jesus. You notice there the expression, sit on the throne of his glory, exactly the phrase found in Matthew 19:28 and Matthew 25, verse 31. What this proves, of course, is that Jesus is a Jew who must be understood in his first century Palestinian and Jewish context. Jesus is not a philosopher or a modern psychologist. He's the Messiah speaking the language of messianism. What we have in the New Testament is the purest biblical messianism. We invite you to join us again. Don't forget to request the free book we have for you on the kingdom of God. And tune in again as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.